0: I said is from John chapter 20 verses 1 to 18. Now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter ran out with the other disciple but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in he saw the linen cloth lying there but he did not go in then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood there weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but he did not, she did not know him at first. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brother's and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. The Apostle John's narrative, unlike some of the other gospels, doesn't focus a lot on physical proofs. There are places in the other gospel accounts, by the way, gospel is a word that means good news, and this is certainly good news today. This account, on the other hand, focuses on people's feelings and people's reactions and the way that it changed their nature to experience the resurrection of Jesus. He, he's, John, is, John has written a story that, if not for the resurrection, would just sound like the biography of a good and decent man who was a great teacher. Well we've had few of those throughout history and they all end the same way and then he died and then she died that's how they all end and with any luck some of their teaching carries on beyond the grave and they are remembered by history for at least a few things. And as we well know, sometimes history gets it wrong and what we remember about them isn't exactly what happened and what we give them credit for saying they may not have actually said. But John's story doesn't end there. Now he's talking about the resurrection. And it's really difficult to imagine the astonishment that they felt when they heard this news and tried to comprehend it. I wish you could have been with us at the uh, sunrise service this morning out in Shiloh Cemetery because we really had a chance to comprehend the extraordinary nature of this news as we were there among the graves and imagined one opened by its occupant. Just think about that for a moment. No, the people who encountered Jesus after the resurrection were changed forever. It changed everything about them and everything they did, and the fact that we are here today talking about it still is an indication of how, how profoundly these encounters with Jesus affect people. I want to tell you about one guy in particular because I read a quote from him this week that really shaped my thoughts. Now, some of you are not old enough to remember this, but it it is a matter of American history that during the 1970s, there was a scandal called the Watergate scandal, and it involved criminal activity on the part of the president. Then it was Richard Nixon and his cabinet members and closest confidants. They were found guilty, and the president resigned in disgrace, and many of his Uh, entourage ended up serving time in jail. One of those people was a man named Chuck Colson. Now Chuck Colson, like many who go to jail, found the Lord there. It's not uncommon, you know, and we shouldn't laugh or mock them because they discovered Jesus in jail because most of us are just too busy and have too much to do and don't have enough time to consider Christ. But when you're in a jail cell, You have time for Jesus. You have time to read scripture and consider Christ. And so I've met a handful of inmate conversions in my time and they are usually really authentic. And so it was with Chuck Colson, while he served his time, he came to understand that he was guilty, not only of the crime that he had been convicted of, but he was guilty before God. Chuck Colson understood that he was serving time for a crime he did commit. But he began to understand that Jesus had paid a penalty for a crime that he was not guilty of. He began to understand that before God, we are all guilty of at least having a really lousy attitude towards God. Now, you can define sin in a lot of ways. You can name bad things that people do, and you can call that sin if you want but some sins seem worse to us than others, depending on our personal state and our social state and a few other things. And so we're, we're prone to thinking we're better than others because we don't do those really terrible things. We didn't do what Chuck Colson did, for example, but in reality, before God, we are all guilty and worthy of God's wrath, God's ultimate punishment, which is hell because we have such a terrible attitude about God. And we can all understand and admit to that if we'll try. And it's important that you try because it's one of the important and most valuable steps in your spiritual journey. If you're even remotely interested in what this Christianity is all about and what Jesus is doing in people's lives even today, then you have to consider your guilt before God. Now we're not going to dwell on that except that this is exactly what happened to Chuck Colson he began to realize that the consequences of sin were due to all of us and that we all have a need for deliverance from an outside source and so he recognized that Jesus was that outside source he realized that Jesus had done for us something that only the Son of God could do And so this man who was both son of God and child of a woman was in fact God in human form, perfect in his divinity, and sinless in his human nature. And so he took upon himself a punishment none of us deserved. He took upon himself my guilt, my shame, all that puts me at odds with God, And it really doesn't take much if we're really honest about God's perfect holiness. So when Chuck Colson realized this, then he considered things that informed his belief. He understood that he was beginning to have this opening of his mind and his heart. and He was beginning to understand all of this. And then at some point he just knew that he believed and he could not question his belief anymore. It had just taken over his being. and. This is what he said about the resurrection of Jesus. Chuck Colson said, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison and they would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. See. What Chuck Colson said in that quote really sticks with me because you can ask people to prove that Jesus really rose from the dead and there will be just as many people who can give you a reasonable explanation for why it was a mistake, that it was a a, a mass hysteria or who knows what. There are people that come up with all kinds of explanations to explain away miracles of the Bible and the resurrection of Jesus and if we're honest Those kind of people just don't want it to be true. And so they will find a way to believe their own assumptions over the potential that something truly extraordinary and one of a kind happened. And so you can refute what seem like facts to most people, but you know, there's nothing quite so compelling or convincing as a changed nature. There's nothing that speaks volumes about the power of conversion, like a changed nature. Chuck Colson was an example of such a person. He was a hard-charging legal eagle. He was a guy who was powerful because he sought power. He was part of a government that was corrupt, and this was by design. And this person then came out an entirely changed person. Person, His nature was transformed by his conversion as he became a Christian through faith that he was a sinner and his only forgiveness came through the person of Jesus Christ through the sacrifice and the offering of Jesus and his only hope for heaven beyond the grave and life eternal and resurrection came through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so he came to understand this and know it so much that it changed everything about him. And the people who once considered him a friend thought of him as a kook, thought that he was no longer worthy of their company, and the truth is he wasn't. And neither are you, if you're honest. You see, people come into an encounter with Jesus one way, and they go out of it another way. Have you watched The Chosen? You know, that wonderful television series about Jesus that is out and about. You can watch the first season on Amazon Prime and Roku and some of these other offerings and I really encourage you to do so. And in one of the episodes, the person of Mary Magdalene, the character playing her, it's episode one uh, and it says there's an encounter where she has been completely changed from the nature that she once was. She was demon-possessed, she was given over to all kinds of evil, and then she met Jesus, and she was changed in every conceivable way so that people who knew her before could barely recognize her. And this is what she said when questioned about that. She said, well, it's right there on the screen. I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. Yeah, you see, encountering Christ, knowing that you're a sinner, knowing that he's given you grace that you did not deserve. That's the very essence of grace after all, unmerited favor. Encountering Christ and realizing that he has conquered sin and death. And through him, you have victory over sin and death. The Bible tells us, we'll talk about this quite a bit more in coming weeks as we explore our identity as people of the Methodist tradition. And we'll talk about the uh, perfect sanctification that God offers through Christ and the Holy Spirit. The reality is, is we are not only victory, have a victory over death because of Jesus, but we have victory over sin. Sin does not have to rule our lives anymore. We don't have to be subjected to the power of sin anymore because of Jesus. And when a person realizes that, it changes them forever. Just like Mary, just like Chuck Colson, it changes them forever. Now, what I want to say to you is probably going to be a little bit harder to hear, but it must be said because of truth and love, and it is this, we all find it compelling that a man would die for us, we, you know, I was talking to my mother yesterday, I said a lot of people will go to church on Easter Sunday to celebrate how a man threw himself on a grenade for the sake of his buddies, and we all honored him for it, if that's all this was, and yet it's so much more than that, so much more than that, Jesus has done for us what only he could do and all of us are saved and this this news that we are sinners it doesn't fall well on our ears when we imagine ourselves being convicted criminals like chuck colson or raving maniacal demon-possessed women like mary magdalene we don't find that too hard to understand those people need saving and good for them you say But the truth that we must embrace is that we all need saving. That we are all as guilty in God's eyes as any of those people who we readily recognize as sinners. This was the point Jesus tried so hard to make as often as possible with the Pharisees who were legalistic religious authorities who thought that if you didn't practice the faith the way they were prescribing and the way that they believed they did, you were a sinner. And if, of course, you weren't of their particular race and religious tradition, you were a sinner by default. They would call them Gentiles. And Jesus said to them, you don't get it. If you don't have proper respect for God and acknowledge Him as the creator and supreme power over all things, if you don't have an appropriate fear of God, and not in a way that that, you know means that you shouldn't feel safe with God after you've been saved, but just an appropriate fear of God that informs you that you are a sinner and you need saving. And the truth is, is you may not consider yourself bad because you don't do anything that your friends consider bad, or that the people you socialize with consider bad, or the people you work with consider bad. You think that you sleep well at night because you can lay your head on your pillow and know that you didn't cheat anybody today, you didn't steal, you didn't lie, you you didn't commit any criminal things or criminal behaviors. You you can say all of these things about yourself and say, you see, I'm good. And we can talk about our enemies as people who are bad as if we have authority to judge one of them up against our own goodness. And this entirely misses the point. God sees all of us as corrupt. And by that, I mean rusty. Would you drive your car full of your children and your bride or your husband across a rusty, rickety old bridge? Probably not. Rust corrupts and things collapse because of the corruption. And so your nature, while it may seem good on the surface, is certainly better than some in that you do not commit terrible crimes and do horrible things that all of society rejects. But, but are you not possibly guilty of being corrupt underneath a whitewashed surface? You can paint an old rotted fence every year, but as soon as a little pressure falls against it, it collapses. And so the point that we need to arrive at is that we all need what Jesus gave us this Holy Week and Easter Sunday. We need deliverance from within, under the superficial, under the fresh paint, we need complete reconstruction of our core being where the corruption starts. And that is the real nature. Understand that when Jesus was placed in the tomb three days earlier, the corruption began the moment his heart stopped beating. When all the life's blood was drained from his body, there was nothing but rotting flesh. And it began as quickly as that in a warm, humid Tomb carved in a wet hole in the ground in the side of a cliff. So understand that his resurrection began with something inward, deep inside that you could not see, but on a molecular level. I'm just glad I got around to it. On a molecular level, this transformation was happening in Jesus, and then burst forth. In glory that is only seen in the presence of God, glory that shattered the tombs covering stone, terrified the guards. That's the change that we are talking about when we talk about embracing Christ as our Savior. And having embraced him as Savior, we embrace him as Lord This is the part where most of us fall short. Most of us will come at least once a year on Easter Sunday to acknowledge that he saved us because, well, frankly, we all know we're going to die sooner or later, and we like knowing that there's something after that. We like knowing that when we visit the funeral home to say goodbye to friends and loved ones that we'll see them again someday. So most of us are comfortable embracing the good news that there's a heaven waiting for you because you believe in Jesus. If only it were as simple as believing in Jesus. Examine your heart today and understand that it's about knowing Jesus. Knowing with every fiber of your being that he died to save you. Just as I know with every fiber of my being that he died to save me. And he died not just a physical death, but he suffered the pain of sin that separated him from his father in heaven in a way that he had never known. And we can't even wrap our minds around that sorrow. Yet we live with it a lot ourselves. No, the hardest part about being a Christian is living as though he is the leader of your life. That he is the one Who expects you having been empowered to defeat sin in his name, you would be different. That people around you would know that something has changed about you. This was the most compelling evidence that has sustained the Christian faith throughout these last 2,000 years and it will sustain it for another thousand if need be. People's changed lives. It's the witness of your changed nature that testifies that Christ the Lord is risen today. It's the change in the way you approach the world around you. Now you see people with grace because you were filled with grace. Now you love people because you were loved even at the cost of his own life. Now you forgive people because you were forgiven. Now you believe in miracles because your salvation is the result of a miracle. Now you live as though there is one compelling force that is always right, always trustworthy, and always pointing you in the right direction. And it is the spirit of God himself where your government will fail you, where your local leaders will fail you, where your pastors will fail you, where you fail. Christ never fails. And so when you put his authority over every other aspect of your life, you are a citizen of Christ's kingdom because now he is a reigning king. And his kingdom, though not entirely of this world yet, is here wherever kingdom citizens exist. And so I see the kingdom before me. And I speak to you, echoing in the halls of the king's chamber. And I challenge you to make him the Lord and leader of your life from this day forward. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you and I praise you this morning for the glorious good news we celebrate. And I pray that for anyone who has earnestly considered you today that they would feel your spirit changing their nature. We all know that whether we've believed for decades or whether we're just beginning to understand that until people around us see a change in our nature, we are still falling short of the mark. And we do not desire to win your approval, but rather to glorify you by reaching beyond the mark and so we honor and serve you by giving ourselves to your son our lord jesus christ amen